This episode of Radio Vet Nurse was proudly brought to you by Zilkeen. Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast with your host, Kat Robinson. You're listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast for vet nurses where we tell our story. I'm your host, Kat Robinson. Vet nursing can be a tough gig, and yet we absolutely love it. So when it comes to vet nurses, who are we? How do we achieve greatness? How do we cope with the more challenging parts of our job? Radio Vet Nurse is our way to start a dialogue around these questions and to create a space where we can tell our story. Each episode, you'll hear from a different vet nurse about their personal experiences in life and in vet nursing. In this episode, I was joined by the 2019 BNCA Vet Nurse of the Year, Kate. She's a senior nurse at the Perth Zoo, nominated by her entire team for her work ethic and dedication to our profession. Kate has been a vet nurse for 20 years, working in zoos for 18. We recorded this episode at the beginning of March, just before COVID-19 turned the world on its head. Ever the conservationist, Kate wanted to discuss the pangolin and her vet nurse friend Kathy's work raising awareness for this amazing creature. Apart from my mental image of a scaled mammal, at the time I knew nothing of the pangolin, the most trafficked animal in the world. A month later I had most certainly heard of the pangolin as a suspected intermediate host linking SARS-CoV-2 from horseshoe bats to humans. Since the pandemic, I've thought a lot about live animal markets. It's important to note they can be legal, illegal, regulated, unregulated, and are an important source of affordable food and livelihood for many. But they are linked to the mutation of viral pathogens, which are more likely to make these jumps between species when animals are kept under duress. Pangolins are traded at live animal markets in some countries as a luxury meat and their scales used in traditional medicine. If, and let me stress, if this is how SARS-CoV-2 was transmitted to one person at a seafood market in Wuhan, China, then the whole world is paying an enormous price for this trade. We'll never know for sure if this is what happened, but it is undoubtedly time to start listening to the voices of the conservationists, like Kate. Hello, Kate. Welcome to Radio Vet Nurse. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. It is a, uh, it's a, it's a Saturday and you are in Perth and I'm in Queensland. So it's sort of mid-morning for you and lunchish time for me. And I wanted to just start with a question about, are you into podcasts? What are you listening to? I have every intention to get into podcasts, but I just <laughs> have not managed to get there yet. Um, it's on the list of things to do, but um Unfortunately, I'm you know I'm not one of those people that listens to them uh, regularly yet. That's that's fine. On the to do list is fine. And um, where are you from, and where are you currently living? I have kind of spoilt that you're in Perth, but what's your story? So I was born in Perth, so I've been here um, all my life, and um, yeah, I've done quite a bit of travelling, but. Um, yeah, my whole my whole upbringing and and career has been based here in Perth. Excellent. And I'm I'm wanting to know how you got your foot in the door with vet nursing. And I I should point out I'm just looking at the AVNJ November 2019 edition, and you are on the front 
hugging a massive elephant. Um, <laughs> and it the says, gorgeous meet, Trisha. Yeah, beautiful Trisha. And it says, meet the 2019 Vet Nurse of the Year. So that's how you were on my radar. I saw that um, you had won the VNCA's 2019 Vet Nurse of the Year. So, of course, I was like, Jazz, can you hook me up with Kate? <laughs> <laughs> so um, for everyone um, who has you know seen you in the ABNJ or heard of you through this award, can you tell us all how you got your foot in the door with vet nursing and ended up um, being at the zoo yeah for sure well um, you know from the very first time I ever remember anybody asking me what do you want to be when you grow up it was always a vet nurse Um, there was never really any question for me and you know I got asked oh and then you're going to become a vet or why don't you become a vet but it's um, Mm. vet nursing just really was always what I was going to do Um, and luckily for me I was exposed to lots of wildlife um, with my mum working at a wildlife park as I was growing up so we always had you know something or another in the house that required feeding all through the night and and animals that we had to take around with us um, to hand rear and things like that so I got a passion for wildlife very, very early on. Um, And as soon as I left school, I went and studied my vet nursing, became qualified and then spent a few years working in general practice. Um, After that, I spent a few more years working um, in emergency and critical care at one of the universities here in Perth. Um, But my passion for wildlife meant that I knew I always wanted to try and get a job at Perth Zoo. So um, luckily one day an ad popped up in the paper um, and through applying for that um, I managed to get some work experience and the rest they say is history. It it didn't take long before I was actually um, on the payroll and that was um, 19 years ago at the end of this year. Wow, that that's a perfect um, entry in just the, the ad popping up at the exact right moment. And uh, do they, I mean, do they look favourably upon vet nurse applicants that, that have not come obviously from a, a zoo background? If you're coming from a GP clinic or an emergency practice, um, you know, are they just accepting that, that for most zoo nurses, they're going to need to train them, I guess, to some extent? Um, definitely nurses that apply that have exposure to wildlife um, is a really big plus Mm -hmm. Um, so whether that's a nurse that volunteers at a a wildlife shelter or a rehabilitation centre that's a really big plus for us um, having exposure to wildlife um, Mm -hmm. and all of the things that comes with it. So for someone wanting to make that transition start doing some volunteer work if you can. Absolutely Mm. yes getting as Mm. much hands-on exposure as you can um, is really beneficial. Yeah. Now, so you work at the Perth Zoo. Can you describe your role there and what you do from day to day? Uh, Yeah, so I'm a senior nurse at the zoo now. Um, And as with really any clinic, um, you never know what your day will bring. Um, We always have um, certain procedures on the board um, every day, uh, whether they be routine or or not. Um, So the way we we work our nursing roster is we have um, clinical nurses which is a nurse that will deal with all of the medical procedures um, for the animals that are scheduled for the day and then we have a husbandry nurse which cares for all of the animals that might be in the hospital whether those are sick patients 
or um, animals coming into the zoo collection going through a quarantine period. Um, so depending on what round we're on, um, our day does vary a little bit, um, but also um, being available to receive any wildlife patients that we might get brought in throughout the day or having to deal with any emergencies with the zoo collection that might um, happen. Excellent. And so are you doing both shifts? Are you doing clinical and husbandry shifts? Ideally, during the week, we have at least one nurse on each shift mm -hmm. um, that will take care of each of those rounds. Um, on the weekend, we do have only one nurse. So that nurse mm -hmm. is covering both sides. But mm -hmm. we try and keep procedures to a minimum if we can on a weekend. Of course. And to you, what's the best part of your job? Um. There's lots of best parts for me. I just, I love the exposure to the animals that we get. Um, and, you know, working in the zoo and wildlife field, um, we're very strongly aligned with our conservation values. So being able to nurse patients that have come from the wild um, and then know that they've been re rehabilitated to be able to be released, that's that's really rewarding um, and really the end goal for all of the wildlife patients that we get through the doors. Mm. I think sometimes we forget that when we when we go to zoos or when we think of zoos, we're not always remembering the conservation work that's happening um, and that, you know, that yes, we're allowed to come and visit these animals, but also, you know, we're trying to increase populations and spread, you know, make sure there's genetic diversity of endangered species and that sort of thing. So can you speak a little to that of what's going on behind the scenes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, zoos play really key roles in um, promoting conservation of species, but also having uh, breeding programs. Um, so the zoo is um, has quite a number of uh, breeding programs at the moment. Um, the Numbats is a good example of that, um, where we're actually breeding for release into the wild. Um, the Western Swamp Tortoise is another one. Um, and, you know, by having animals in zoos, um, I am a strong believer that unless you get to see those animals and form some type of connection, you're really not going to be interested in their conservation. So the animals that we have in zoos are really ambassadors for their species. They're the ones that can form the connection with the people that come and visit um, mm. to make them interested and actually engage them into taking action um, to conservation because really it all comes down to everybody taking action to mm. to make the difference you're so right i think that's why steve Irwin was so successful in recruiting wilderness warriors and bringing conservation to the forefront of people's minds because he was able to take um, animals and creatures that people might look at and think oh gosh that's an ugly looking thing or that's a scary looking thing and actually um, work on people's cur curiosity and intrigue and and demonstrate no this is a, a living creature and it's it's a gorgeous creature even though you might initially think it's horrific or scary or ugly so I think he showed people how to find beauty um, in all creatures and make people have you know a stake I guess in the future of these animals so um, I think it's it's really honorable for people working in zoos to play a part in that. Yeah, it, it's really important um, and, you know, education is the key, educating people about these animals, um, what are their threats and what we can do to help because a lot of people actually aren't aware 
how threatened and endangered a lot of species are. They just, you know, you know, tigers, elephants, giraffes. Um, so people just assume that that there is no problem with their population numbers, but mm. that actually is um, very far from the truth. Particularly after, I mean, we're just coming through um, from the horrific bushfires experienced in Australia and um, just, you know, billions of, of uh, animals wiped out in the bushfires. So um, I, I just, I, I think that really we're thinking about it now, but there's always this undercurrent, isn't there, of, of uh, numbers getting critically low and endangered. So um, I guess um, zoos will be, you know, particularly involved at this time, just given all of the the wipeout we saw th- this year, which has just been devastating. Absolutely. Um, you know, my zoo colleagues over on the East Coast are doing an absolutely amazing job at the moment, providing medical care and support um, for all of the wildlife patients over there. And, you know, it, it is, um, it's what they do and it's what they love, but it takes a toll because, um, you know, it, it's, it's such intense work and at the end of the day, you still lose a lot of patience no matter how much hard work you put into it. Um, mm. And there's only so many of them as well. Um, so they're often, you know, stretched during super long days. Mm. Um, but um, I know they're absolutely giving it their all and, um, and doing some really amazing, fantastic work over there. Excellent. So, you know, for anybody um, looking to support any sort of facet of the bushfires and the suffering um, that has that has ensued from the bushfires, um, I know a lot of nurses have been involved in sharing various sites for money going towards wildlife care and wildlife rehabilitation. A lot of nurses getting on social media saying, how can I help? Um, so, you know, let's continue to, to share that information of how we can support the vets um, and, and the your, your zoo colleagues on the ground. Um, but also how we can share in our own services and and resources and volunteering our time. So I know there's lots of vet nurse groups and it'd be great if we can um, all keep on contributing to how we can be a part of that. Absolutely, yeah, they're going to need our support for for some time to come, I think. That's right. Now, what's your routine when you wake up in the morning? I have a feeling there's a certain element of chaos that's similar to mine. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Yes, there is a little bit of chaos. Um, I have a little person in my life, um, a five-year-old daughter. So, um, yeah, it's as soon as she wakes up in the morning, we hit the ground running, getting ready for school and trying to get ready for work and walking the dog. And do we take Maya with us or do we leave her here? But, um, yeah, trying to get that in if we can. Yeah, God, I don't know about five-year-olds, but sometimes two slash three-year-olds, they're not the fastest walkers, so... (laughs) No, no, absolutely not. Well, she's on a bike now, so sometimes it's us running behind her trying to... to get her to turn the corner or slow down. Perfect. And what weekly or daily habit makes your life better? I think just, you know, taking a little bit of time to sit down with a cup of tea and just regroup, think about the week, um, you know, think about how things went at work, think about how things went at home um, and set some goals for the week ahead, um, whether that be, you know, things... I'd like to do or things I'd like to change Um, but just taking that little bit of time to have a bit of downtime and a bit of me time and and just actually think about 
the week that's just been. I like the idea of that because it's combining, you know, time for yourself with just a little bit of an audit as well of, okay, what didn't go so well? Okay, that was a bit crazy. Let's try and revise that. And, you know, that can be work things and home things as well. So, um, and just sitting with a cup of tea. Oh my God, isn't that like the idea of heaven? (laughs) Once you become a mum, that becomes a sacred event. I know my mum friend recently said to me, look at, sometimes I would just sit and stare at a wall for half an hour and that was just joy like pure joy if you can just stare at the wall for half an hour sometimes and just a bit of silence yeah um, yeah you you um you really appreciate silence once you've um, got a little person around all the time exactly now do you have any strange habits or superstitions Maybe you better ask my husband. I <laughs> don't think I have any strange habits. I hope I don't. I'm totally normal. What are you talking about? <laughs> and do you have any workplace superstitions? Are you superstitious about saying it's quiet or, you know, how many catheters are you going to get out or any of these common ones we hear? Oh, we always have a joke about the not saying the Q word. Um, That's right. I, I am a bit of a believer in the things always happen in threes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah, I've had that proven, you know, time and time again. Um, and absolutely a believer in the things go crazy on a full moon. Yeah. Um, after spending those years working in emergency, you can, yeah. um, you know, if you're having a crazy night, all you've got to do is walk out the door and look at the moon and yeah, yeah. it'll be a full moon. I think the threes thing is really valid too. Like um, just before my husband was saying, because we had a cat enucleation at 4 p.m. yesterday, like 4 p.m. on a Friday, of course. Of course. Um, and it was one of our vets did it. And my husband was just saying to me, like, I can't believe she's she's done like two in a week. Like I've done one in my career. And that's that thing where, you know, you this rarely, this thing that you rarely see, yeah, you're going to see it twice in a week, of course. Yeah, I'm waiting for the third. <laughs> the third one will be in next week. The after hours phone might ring with it anytime soon yeah uh stay tuned and can you think of a purchase made by you or your employer that has positively impacted your vet nurse life in recent memory um i can't really think of anything specifically um at work we're always you know we try and always evaluate Um, you know what equipment we're using and what we're doing and um, you know stay on on top of um, you know being well equipped and those kinds of things so we're pretty lucky in that you know if there's equipment new equipment that we do need um, we are able to to purchase it and um, stock the hospital with it so that's um, good yeah, probably the newest bit of equipment um, that the vets are getting excited about at the moment is a vet tome, um, which makes it a, that's the um, dental. Um, it's kind of like a it's it's not a drill, but it's um, a piece of equipment that aids in the extraction of large teeth. So oh, great. when they're taking out, you know, large canines on. Um, our big carnivores, mm. which takes usually a, an, um, a ridiculous amount of grunt work, the vet mm. tone can actually assist them a lot in that and make it make it a lot quicker. So they're all very excited about having oh, that. God, you've just blown my mind because I know for a lot of our vets, um, canine teeth, even of you know a large dog or a medium sized dog 
is just so dreaded sometimes and you'll have a dental that just goes on and on because yeah, um, yeah it takes a lot of grunt work even in even in a dog so um god you just blown my mind if we're talking about like a, a lion or something like that so um you would need all the help you can get yeah it's um a lot of sweat and a big workout uh, <laughs> by the end mm. of it for our poor vets yeah 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 that's right and so i mean that's that's just crazy to think about the kind of the kinds of patients that you might be assisting um, for like a, a dental procedure under anesthetic. What are some of the cool animals that you've that you've um, helped anesthetize? Um, well, we we really we work with all the species, so you know, down to the tiny little marsupials and frogs up to um, the elephants. So. Um, yeah, really, we, we work with all of them. Probably the largest patient that we'd bring up to the hospital would be the lions. Um, if we're talking about things like the zebras and giraffe, um, if we're needing to do a procedure on them, we actually need to do it out in the zoo grounds mm -hmm. um, because we just, you know, there's just not the capability to bring them up to the hospital. That's really exciting. And are the vets trained to give, I guess, the pre-med with some kind of a dart gun or something like that? Yeah, so um, a lot of the animals are anaesthetised via a dart, um, but um, some of the animals are actually um, conditioned to receive a hand injection, um, oh, wow. which is really awesome. And, and something that I'm very passionate about um, is medical training conditioning for our animals, mm, yeah. um, because often... Um, you know, the vets go down with a dart gun, the animals know what it is, they get quite yeah, stressed and there's yeah. a lot of anticipation mm. waiting for them to be darted. Um, whereas if we can do it in a calm, controlled way um, and take the fear out, we often have, you know, better inductions and better anaesthetics um, because the animals aren't stressed um, before yeah. the procedure. And, you know, that's not just... Um, hand injections that we do that can be vaccinations um, right. training animals to present different parts of their bodies so we can mm. actually do a good assessment rather than having to anesthetize them yeah and isn't that so important in every in every area of veterinary care for every patient and I know that Nat talked a lot about that in her episode um, because she's really into behavior and stress minimization as well and I mean we should even be educating our clients who have dogs who are going to want their nails trimmed to condition to Absolutely. you know re receive a treat when their hands being touched and you know be able or you know tap the tap the nail clippers on on the on the hand and give a treat and we always sort of work with the owner to that if the patient comes and they're really freaking out we sort of well, I usually show them there's a great YouTube clip by um, Dr. Sophia Yin which I'll put on the show note I'll put a link to it on the show notes for this episode and I usually show clients that and say look you can work to this at home come back in a week let's see if we can do it without the stress but I'm also kind of jealous of the dart gun for some situations in <laughs> a GP setting particularly when clients think that we can just wave this magic wand and have the animal behave differently like yes. you know you'll have them say oh we've ran over the dog um, he's under the car we're reaching under to try and get him but he's trying to bite us um, when we do that so can you please come over and get him out and we're like well the dog's gonna be the same with us or yeah probably worse and they're like don't you have a gun or something that you shoot the med medication and we're like <laughs> no we don't so but sometimes I think well that might be nice in certain situations yeah then you go you can always go for the jab stick 
The jab stick. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's right. You never want to have it get to that. But yes, there no. are some situations. And um, is there a time that you can think of in your nursing career when you were able to turn defeat into victory or even in your personal life if you can't think of a nursing one? Yeah, there's there's probably many instances over the over my career where um, it could be seen as defeat where you lose a patient that you've been intensively nursing. Um, but I think um, myself and my team can always walk away knowing that we did absolutely everything possible for our patient. Mm. Um, and, you know, going through those processes that are quite intense um, as a team, I think, you know, really brings you together and um, it really shows the way that a team can gel and, um, and work so well together. And we're very mindful after these events of um, getting together and talking about it, debriefing, mm. Mm. you know, seeing was there anything else we could have changed, um, making sure that, you know, everybody's coping with what happened in the situation and making sure that we capture all of the learning outcomes for next time. That debrief is really important for everyone, even if it's just a matter of, you know, reassuring each other that you did do everything possible or, as you say, feeling somewhat better that you've taken things away from it for next time as well and yes. and been yep. able to learn from the situation. And it can be really hard. Like I know in our practice at five o'clock, we're just saying, everybody go, get out the door, go, because we're all about people getting out the door and going yep. and living their lives. But you know, when, when do you do that debrief sometimes? So, um, I find even just having like a chat group for the team, be it, you know, on messenger or on your WhatsApp or whatever that can even help. Um, and even to involve people who weren't there on that shift and don't know that you've lost the patient or whatever. So, I mean, everybody, you don't want to rock up to your next shift and be like, what he's gone. So, um, finding some way, you know, amidst the, amidst the chaos and the busyness of shifts and, you know, knock off, to to debrief together and to be part of that absolutely yeah very very important and like you said to include the team that's maybe not there on the day Mm. Um, especially for us in a zoo situation you know everybody um, on the team we get to know our zoo animals very well so um, yeah it's very important for us to keep in touch with everybody and and let them know when we do have something happen when somebody might be on a day off Oh, I didn't think of that because, you know, for us, we might have a patient in for a week or something if they're, they've got pancreatitis or something like that. And you do get bonded to them just in that time. But for you guys, you, you know, especially on your husbandry shifts, you're caring for these animals and, you know, helping condition them and, and look after them for, you know, potentially years. Absolutely. Yeah, we do. Um, we do form very special bonds with um certain individuals and um the longer you work there you know the older they get and Mm. um yeah um we've just it feels like we've been through a period the last year or so where animals that we've had from very small have entered their twilight years and um and some of them have left us and it just Mm. yeah it's crazy to think you know you've been a part of or they've been a part of your life for Mm. for their entire life um Mm. and yeah they are quite special so it's nice just to um to um be kept in the loop when when things don't go so well or or Mm. someone's not looking well 
Oh gosh, it's be like I'm imagining it's just actually like having lots and lots of pets. It is a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> yeah, people ask me how many pets I have at home and you know, we only have one dog and some fish and and that's enough because, you know, um yeah, I have all, all of the animals at work that, you know, I'm very attached to, so Yeah. Luckily I get I get to see them every day. Yeah, and you you even get that in a in a GP setting. You'll have a patient that you you're involved in its first puppy appointments, and you know you're there for every big sickness or big surgery or just routine health check. And then it's easy just to get attached, even when you're seeing them a couple of times a year, um, and it's you know devastating. So I um I hadn't thought of that workplace hazard, shall we say, for you guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I hope you look after yourself on that front. Speaking of your team, and just before we go for a quick break. I believe someone from your team nominated you for Vet Nurse of the Year. Can you talk a little bit about the process um, of being involved with Vet Nurse of the Year and who nominated you and what it means, what it's in recognition of? Um, It actually was uh, my team as a whole that nominated me, um, which, you know, I feel very grateful for because I work with some extraordinary nurses um, and, you know, any one of them um, could have been nominated for this award. Um, so it's re- it's really special um, that they've put that in for me. Um, and I was very surprised when um, Jazz gave me the call because I actually know some of the other nurses that were nominated and they're phenomenal as well. But So I actually thought when she called me, she was calling to, t- to say that, um, you know, just to let you know so-and-so's um, going to be announced as the vet nurse of the year so I almost fell over when she said that, <laughs> <laughs> that I was um, this successful um, successful person and I did I think ask her a couple of times if she <laughs> if she was sure um, so very honoured and, and very humbled by receiving the award that's for sure. I think that's very humble of you and I will put a link to to the award if no if people haven't heard of it it's the BNCA Hills uh, Vet Nurse of the Year so um, you will be going to the conference in April I'm guessing to get your I award. I will be there yes. Fantastic um, and for anybody else who knows of you know a nurse within their team that they would like to nominate you can have a look at this link and keep it in mind for next year but um but yeah what what a privilege to be the vet nurse of the year and I'm looking forward to getting more um, advice and tips and um, everything like that from you after the break you happy to come back in a minute absolutely support for radio vet nurse comes from zilking it's a supplement for cats and dogs that can help with stressful or unpredictable situations you know the ones thunderstorms travel multi-cat households all those triggers zilking contains alpha cazozapine to help keep the animal calm it's the same molecule that helps keep newborns calm after breastfeeding it's palatable and easy to give i mix it into my dog's food some behavioral issues are severe and zilkin probably won't help these but it works well for many pets in stressful situations worth a try right Hey, Kat Robinson here. You know me from Radio Vet Nurse, but I'm also the co-founder, co-owner and general manager of ReadyVet. ReadyVet is a veterinary surgery in far north Queensland. My husband's a vet and we really, really, really appreciate our vet nurses. In case you hadn't noticed, I'm kind of passionate about nursing too. So when I told Matt I wanted to start Radio Vet Nurse to celebrate vet nurses and tell our story, we agreed that ReadyVet would make this financially possible. So thanks, ReadyVet. That's all. Carry on. Carry on. 
Welcome back, Kate. I want to ask you what advice you want to give to someone who's about to enter the world of vet nursing. Um, I think you're on the right track because <laughs> I think it's the most <laughs> amazing um, job in the world. Um, I would say just put your head down, your bum up and suck it all in. And one thing I have learnt about vet nursing is you're never going to know it all. There is so much to know. Um, so it's really important to keep upskilling, keep learning, keep challenging yourself um, and, um, yeah, just bring all that you can um, to your job. And um, I think for me, vet nursing, it, it's not just a job. It, it really is a way of life. And I think um, a lot of nurses probably feel that you know, you'll go home from your clinic at the end of the day, um, but you're thinking about your patients that are still at work and um, there's, there's that extra level of, of care that nurses have that you just can't switch off at the end of the day. So um, it can be quite an emotionally draining job. Um, so make sure that you surround yourself with um, supportive people, um, be in a supportive team and be a supportive co-worker as well. So, you know, make sure that you're checking in on, on your team and, and making sure that they're okay after a busy day or a hard procedure or um, the loss of a patient. It's really, um, really important to have a good support network um, with being a vet nurse, I think. Absolutely. So we've named the team as part of the support network and I guess we've also got you know, partners, parents, you know, housemates, friends, whoever these people are. Um, so, you know, it is really important to share that mental and emotional load, I guess, on people that you can trust and people who are happy for you to, to share, you know, this load with, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Talking about things and, um, and yeah, checking in on each other um, just to make sure that everybody's going okay is, is super important, um, you know, in life in general but especially in this profession I think yeah that's right it's nice to to just ask that question straight up are you okay it's one of the best questions you can ask anyone definitely and I want to talk about advice you might give to a vet nurse who's working in you know with domestic animals with cats and dogs be that in you know a specialist practice or GP or emergency and who's thinking about maybe switching into vet nursing within a zoo but they're not quite sure will it suit them the first thing I want to know is did you get any extra qualifications and if so what are they and also what sort of nurse or person do you think it would suit or not suit what sort of things do you need to be comfortable doing um it's quite a quite a physical nursing position um in that our role is a little bit different working in a zoo. Um, we're setting up a lot of enclosures. Um, there's a lot of cleaning. Um, so before an animal comes into quarantine, we would be setting up that enclosure space for them and then packing up and cleaning all of that at the end. So there's a lot of physical cleaning and moving. Um, but apart from that, you know, it, it's it's never a dull moment. You, you know, you could be dealing with um, a red panda in the morning um, and then, you know, moving on to a snake and then looking at an echidna. So there's, there's a huge amount of variety within the day, which um, really appeals to me. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of qualifications, um, I am have done my zookeeping qualification. Um, I've also um, am just completing at the moment um, a specialist um, certificate in zoo and wildlife nursing um, through a, a provider in the UK. Um, and I've also done um, another qualification. Um, Oh, captive vertebrate management. Captive vertebrate management, and that's through that's right. Charles Sturt Uni. That's through Charles Sturt University, yeah. So um, there's lots of different um, courses you can do, um, but they are some good ones that directly relate to zoo and wildlife nursing. Um, and, yeah, it, a lot of it is um, self-education as well, dealing with so many different species. Um, mm. You know, often I'll... I'll um, come across something that I haven't nursed before or looked after um, in a husbandry setting. So it's doing research um, mm. to find out about the best way to house and treat that animal. So it, it's continual upskilling and learning. I can't imagine how how many different um, advices you, you must need to sort of know or at least have a knowledge bank of for different species. Um, you know, w- what does it need in its diet? What does it need in its enclosure? What sort of enrichment does it need? So there must be an excellent um, database of human resource knowledge and, you know, computerized knowledge I'm imagining that you can draw on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, everything has their individual, you know, species requirements and um, we do a lot of um, you know chatting to the keepers as well who look after these animals routinely to get input from them um, on looking after certain species or certain individuals Um, but you know every now and then we do get one in that we've never worked with before so um, we do put a lot into um, researching um, how best to manage those patients. And, you know, a lot of nurses in general practice say to me, oh, God, you know, I just don't know what to do with wildlife patients. Um, but I think once you get the basics down um, for what you need to provide, the next best thing is having a really good relationship with a wildlife carer that's mm. in your area because mm. they're looking after these animals all the time and they're a wealth of knowledge um, and they can give you advice on housing, feeding, temperature requirements, handling, all of those kinds of things. Um, and ultimately, they're going to be the ones that are going to take the patients off your hands at the end of the day. So it's good to just have an open dialogue with them anyway, um, especially if we're talking about... Um, you know, young marsupials that maybe will get started on formula while they're with your clinic, it's a good idea to start them on the same one that they're then going to receive with the carer so that they don't need to transition them. So um, wildlife carers are really, um, you know, gold mines of knowledge um, and most of them are more than happy to work closely with you um, and give you advice on how to look after wildlife. That's right. We have a protocol where the first thing we do is we get the Good Samaritan to fill out a form saying where and when they found this animal um, because we know the carers want to know that straight away. And then the first thing we do is, well, the vet will assess the animal, but then we'll call a carer and say, okay, this is what we're dealing with um, and go from there because, you know, sometimes you do have nurses saying, oh, can I take it home and look after it? It's really cute. But, you know, we sort of just 
go, no, if you want to be a carer, you can join this organisation of yeah. carers yeah. Um, because they're not just dealing with, you know, they're not just all dealing with different species. They might have one person on call who'll say, yeah, I'll come pick it up, but then I'll call this person who's the person who looks after, you know, joeys or you know, whatever yeah. it is. So we can't just um, sort of think well I know how to deal with animals I'll just put it in a box and get a little eyedropper and some formula or so definitely involving the carers I think is is a great starting point yeah and you know a lot of them are cute um when they they first come in but the end goal is always to release them back out into Mm. the wild so we really want to try and minimize human contact as much as possible so the carers have networks of um you know, who's dealing with what species so that, Mm. you know, if you get a baby duckling, they can send it out to a carer that has other baby ducklings so that that animal will grow up with the social skills, Mm. um, knowing how to adapt and and cope in the wild. And um, when you were saying about getting the form filled out, when people drop off the animals to you, you really cannot underestimate how important it actually is to get all of that information because some of the animals that do come into care need to be released exactly where they came from. Exactly. Um, so, you know, often we'll get something brought in that we know was found, you know, all we get is the suburb, um, which makes it really difficult to narrow down the best pa- place to release them. Um, and some animals are, are really territorial, so it is super important to get that information and try and where you can get them back to where they came from. That's it. And you need not only the exact location, but you need to ask the question, what date, roughly what time? Because sometimes when you dig a little further, actually they found this animal a month ago and it was fun to have it for a month. Um, But now, you know, it's making a mess and they can't deal with it. So they're bringing it in. But you need to then be asking if they've had it for a month, has this animal been around your cat and your dog? Um, Absolutely. Because it yes. needs to have a fear of your of cats and dogs in order to be released in the wild. So if this is an animal that's now gotten used to cats and dogs, maybe it's not a candidate for being released or maybe there's a different protocol for getting it to that point. So um, we need to be asking lots of information. And that's another reason why I personally think nurses who are not carers shouldn't really be taking um, animals home unless they do have that perfect situation of it's not going to be exposed unduly to people or to domestic pets or you know any anything that will jeopardize its chances of survival back in the wild yeah absolutely and I mean you know if you're wanting to get into wildlife um, having the capacity to do some hand raising um, is a great thing to do because you know you get that hands-on exposure but like you said you need to do it properly you need to have the proper setup and mm. you need to have that mentoring from a carer who yeah. can give you advice um, and walk you through the steps um, for the first few that you do exactly so join your local wildlife rescue group get some training get some mentoring and you will probably have skills that they will be grateful for as well that you'll be able to assist people with so um yeah and i wanted to touch on to a lot of the things we've been talking about come back to you saying on your advice to someone who's about to enter the world of vet nursing you were saying you know you can't know everything and we keep talking about things you know more study or different species and i think that's just such an important thing to keep reminding yourself and I've really been helping someone in my workplace through that just this week because she 
has gone through that, um, I guess she's gotten to that stage in her studies that it's dawned upon her, oh my God, this is enormous and I've only got X amount of time before I get to the end of my Cert 4 but I still don't feel like I know, you know, you know, nearly everything and now I've only got X months left so there's not enough time to cram it all in and they've been thinking before they started that okay by the end of this I'm just going to know everything Um, and you have to get to that point where it dawns upon you no I'm never going to know everything and you have to learn to sit with it too um, and be like okay um, you know sometimes this is the answer that we're giving to a client and no it's not the definitive answer but it is the best answer that we have um, you know or this is you know this is the answer to what we're going to do with this patient and is it you know do we have an exact diagnosis no do I fully understand this procedure that the vet is doing no but just as long as you can understand what your role is what the expectations of you are and then be able to go back and say well now I'm going to go look up that procedure I'm going to ask this vet what were we doing or tell me about this disease so I think that that is a really key little nugget that I just wanted to pull out there from what you said yeah absolutely and um, you know I think once you become qualified and and you get out there in the world a lot of nurses find their niche you know whether that be wildlife nursing or having an interest in surgery or emergency, um, you know, so there's loads and loads of different avenues um, that people might choose to go into and specialise and just become really refined and um, really skilled in those specific areas. That's right. And I think Lou the vet nurse said that in her episode too, find your niche and embrace it. And speaking about finding our niche and extra qualifications, what advice would you give to a student vet nurse struggling with their studies? Um, Ask for help. You know, um, Mm. lots of qualified nurses out there, um, you know, want to nurture the the, you know, the next lot of nurses coming through because um, I think it's important that everybody in the industry is skilled and um, supported to be the best that they can be because it's really a benefit to all of us. Mm. Um, So ask for some help and um, I'm quite a hands-on learner. I I get more out of things by actually being able to see and do. So, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're really struggling with something and, you know, maybe you just need to speak up and ask for the opportunity to be involved in something so you can Mm -hmm. actually see it firsthand and um, that might make a little bit more sense. And you've touched on another thing that comes up often in response to this question, which is knowing your learning style. Yeah, So, you know, don't try and read books if you need to be touching and doing and don't try to listen if you need to be reading. Figure out what your learning style is. Just Google it and there'll be some sort of quiz online. You'll figure it out. And um, and are there any bad or old recommendations that you hear as a vet nurse that you think could be replaced with more useful or modern information? Um, I think if you feel like something is not right in your gut, then explore that a little bit further. Um, mm. and and make sure that what you're doing or what you're being told to do is actually, um, you know, the correct way of working. I mean, when I started nursing, um, some of the vet practice was were absolutely horrendous. You know, very old school. You just, you know, you can use some instruments and throw them in some alcohol claw hex and then just, mm. you know, rinse that out between patients, which is, you know, as we know, totally not acceptable. Mm. Um, so... I think part of our role 
as nurses is upholding those standards and speaking up when things are not right, um, mm. you know, and, and making the profession as a whole improve because we say we're not working like that. That's not good enough. Mm. Um, so, you know, yeah, if you're working somewhere and you, you feel like something's not right, um, if you feel like you can voice that um, or ask for some external help or, yeah, move to another clinic. That's right. And I think that's why it's so important um, that we embrace things like um, AVNAT registration. And I know in WA, you guys have had registration for a while beforehand, but just anything that requires us to keep up with CPD. And I think we also need to use social media groups um, as a force for good. And, you know, one of the ways that we can do that is to be using it to say to our colleagues um, across Australia and across the world, um, what's your protocol for this, you know, without breaching any sort of confidentiality confidentiality for your practice does anybody else's practice reuse this item or how do you stock this or for how long you know would you store this and where so we can be be sort of sharing information you know as long as our workplaces are comfortable with that or as long as um, you know we're not sort of um, defaming or you know slandering or anything like that Um, and that is I think a way that we can use our interconnectedness for good just to make sure we're keeping up with standards and as you say if you're bringing that to your um, supervisor saying okay I've done some research and I think that the way we should be doing this is this and they're non-receptive to that um, you know you don't have to just you know complain and moan and whinge to everyone in your support network about that you can say maybe I don't want to be in this workplace anymore this doesn't reflect my values yeah absolutely and I think sustainability is another big thing that um, nurses can play a role in in um, looking at what we do in our vet practices what products do we use what can we recycle Mm. what can we cut down on is there better products that we should be using um I think that, that that's a really big movement that is, is starting to grow um, within the industry as well and, and something that we all need to be a part of and support. Absolutely. And I know when I started my diploma, sustainability was one of the mandatory first subjects and I think it is across all of the diplomas. So I think that that's really good that it is in the training package because, I mean, I did that subject and it was it was quite extensive. You know, you had to sort of be able to do an audit on your own clinic and identify ways that you can reduce carbon or reduce use of paper or recycle. So um, I think it doesn't hurt to do an audit of any clinic and look where we can be making a difference and it's interesting that you should say that because the other person who gave that same answer to this question um, was Rebecca who um, was my very first episode and she is a nurse from the UK but she has done lots of work overseas with elephants and turtle rehab and that sort of thing so it's interesting that you two who are from this conservation background um, and understand the broader implications of failure to recycle or look after our environment um, you're both saying let's look at sustainability yeah absolutely i i think you know so many things in this world are interconnected and it's really up to all of us to educate ourselves and make changes and um, look at the impacts that we're having um, on the world and the environment and um, it's very apparent um I've done a lot of work overseas um, with wildlife and education um, is a huge key factor in um, conservation um, and 
improving practices of um, how wildlife and animals are managed um, overseas because um, a lot of the places where there are conservation issues, um, the, the people are just not aware of the long-term conservation impacts that the practices they're doing is having. So um, it's really so important to be educating um, about all of these things because that is what is actually going to make the difference in the long run. That's right. And can you share some of your overseas nursing opportunities that you've had? What have you been doing over there? Yeah, um, many years ago I spent um, a month working in a zoo in Peru. Um, So helping them um, implement procedures for how they worked with the animals. Um, You know, when we arrived, it was an OH&S nightmare. (laughs) Um, You know, there were lots of things that were risky to the animals and also risky to the keepers. So we were able to work with them and try and address those, um, modify enclosures, um, equip them with some PPE um, to protect themselves. And just getting them to think about um, the husbandry practices they were undertaking, reviewing diets, um, educating them on enrichment and its importance and Mm -hmm. the things that they could provide for the animals. Um, We did some medical procedures when we were there, so um, some sterilisations because they had some um, inappropriate groupings of um, related animals um, and just really trying to improve the practices overall and put things in place that they could keep working on once we'd left Um, because I think it's all very good to go in there and um, you know tell them that they're doing everything wrong and they should be doing this and doing that but Mm. you really need to work with them to empower them to want to keep making the changes when you leave. Teach Um, a man to fish. Yes so um, you're going to get the best results long term um, by empowering people and, and kind of um, in a way making them feel like they're the ones that are driving the change and, mm. um, and getting them to understand why it's so important. That sounds like an amazing trip. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. Best time of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've also been over to um, Java to do some work um, with the Gibbons at the Java and Gibbons Centre, which was a great experience as well. Um, And I've also been to Cambodia a few times um, to work with Free the Bears and Wildlife Alliance. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So where in Cambodia is that? Are they they based? Yeah. just out of, uh, I think it's probably about a half an hour drive out of um, Phnom Penh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's the Free the Bears site um, with Wildlife Alliance. Um, so Free the Bears mainly dealing with um, the bears, the rescue bears there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Wildlife Alliance have a lot of other species on site as well. So um, I did work there assisting with bear procedures, um, but also helping make up enrichment um improving enclosures um working with keepers and those kinds of things 
That sounds great. And Cambodia is such a beautiful country filled with beautiful people with excellent senses of humour in my experience. Absolutely, yeah. So a great country to be able to to work with. So, um, wow, I'm I'm really all about nurses finding opportunities to travel with their nursing because I think the opportunities are out there and they're endless. So... Um, that's great that, that you've been able to, to have some amazing trips. Have they been through the zoo or just volunteer or you've organised them yourself? Um, they've been external to the zoo. Lucky the mm-hmm. zoo has supported me to do that work. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there are places crying out um, mm. for um, the help of qualified vet nurses. Um, one mm-hmm. of the nurses I work with is heavily involved in Save Vietnam's Wildlife, working with the pangolins. Mm-hmm. She's been doing amazing work over there, um, you know, providing them with medical support and taking supplies over and doing fundraising. So quite often I find um, nurses in this industry find their niche animal, um, mm. you know, something that they're really passionate about and um, throw their heart and soul into supporting that animal's cause. And um, Kathy's doing a, a fantastic job with the pangolins at the moment. She's just had an art auction over here that's raised, I think, just over $2,000. Wow. Um, so that will go very far with supporting the pangolins over there. Well, we'll see if we can get some sort of website or Facebook link for her um, work that she's doing as well and pop it on the show notes page because I know people are always looking for these opportunities. And it's great that the vet, uh, sorry, that the zoo supported you in this endeavour, but I think it's also great for other nurses to hear that the zoo didn't put it on a platter and hand it to you and say, here's your itinerary for the trip. Were you going to do this thing? You know, you sort out the opportunity. So um, for anybody else going, God, I wish I had a job that I did that. Well, you know, you found this opportunity and other people should too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, like I said before, it for me, definitely it's a way of life. Um, you know, if I'm going on a trip somewhere, it just doesn't, it doesn't mm. sound very <laughs> appealing to me unless you know, animals of some sort are involved. Mm. Um, So my poor husband (laughs) gets dragged to um, lots of random places. But um, yeah, for me, any any time away from the zoo is um, time that I want to spend, you know, visiting other zoos or, um, you know, seeing animals in the wild or or something like that. So it's still... um, you know, it's it's reigniting my passion and also learning as well. Isn't that so funny? My husband and I don't go anywhere without popping into a vet practice or yep. going and seeing a specialist centre or something. It's just <laughs> like, what are we going to do on our holiday? We're going to go do vet stuff, but somewhere else. Yay. So, um, yes, I definitely relate. Uh, now, all of the things that we were talking about with um, the emotional workplace hazards with working in a zoo, like being attached, you know, to, to certain animals and, um, and and losing them and, and, and other stresses, I guess, which, which are, like for me, I guess the biggest stressor would be um, working with big animals and danger. And I guess you might have, you know, a bit of adrenaline from time to time, um, you know, whatever, whatever other things that you're dealing with. How how do you look after your mental well-being and how are you preventing compassion fatigue and burnout when you're feeling overwhelmed? How are you combating that? Um, I have a I have an amazing team, um, an amazing um, group of close friends as well. Um, my very close group of girlfriends um 
most of them work at the zoo or have worked at the zoo. So it's really nice to have that level of understanding. Um, you know, when I'm talking through something that I'm struggling with, mm. they can really relate, which is really, really helpful for me. Um, in terms of dealing with the big dangerous animals, um, I think I've been doing the job so long now that I, I don't so much get the adrenaline rush anymore. I'm just... I'm so confident in my team and the practices that we have in place mm, that follow the procedure. I re- yeah, I really mm. don't feel that there is any risk um, when we're doing the procedures, and it's often, mm-hmm. you know, it's so um, click into work mode, do what you've got to do. You know, everybody else is doing what they have to do. Mm. You know, you get in there and you do it, and it's often not till the animals back in their enclosure recovering, and I'm starting to clean up that I just actually think wow, <laughs> look what we just did. You know, we just anaesthetized a lion or yeah. a giraffe. Um, but you've you got just, trust in your co-workers and trust in your protocols. Absolutely. And you just, you know, you snap into work mode. And um, you, when you're kind of in the moment, it's it's not really focusing on, you know, the danger or um, the enormity of what you're doing because you're just doing what you do. It's not till later on. Or someone says, what did you do today? And you think, Actually, <laughs> it was pretty cool. I, you know, I did this. And if you ever, you know, you've lost, you've lost a long-term, um, you know, animal from the zoo and you're really upset, how are you coping with that? Um, you know, it's, it's tough, um, but, you know, I just think how lucky I am to work with all of those animals and mm. to be able to have that connection and that exposure and experience in the first place. Um you know, it's the reality. Our animals just don't live long enough, you know. Um, mm. it, it's the same as what people go um, through with their beloved pets at home. Um, but being able to share it as well with the team at work, you know, a lot of us feel the same way about many of the animals. So the instant mm. support is there. Yeah. Um, and we get each other through it when those times happen. And this is why I guess having a non-toxic workplace culture is so important because a lot of what you're saying is, you know, the thing that makes this okay is my team. And that's what Trish was saying as well about um, who works at UQ and Gary from UQ as well, you know, and they're working um, in a high pressure environment, I guess, with lots of students and teaching. And um, and so they're, they're also saying, you know, it's my team. It's my team that makes me able to do this. So, you know, again for people who are not able to say that if things aren't you know running so well and there's not that camaraderie and you can't rely on people for support again that's a question to ask are you in the right team are you in the right workplace absolutely you know and you you really you need a workplace that is going to support you um in what you do and the things that happen at work um it, it really yeah, if you don't have that support in your team, then you absolutely must do something about it. That's it. Now, I know your niche is um, being a zoo veterinary nurse, but you are really involved um, in the profession through the VNCA. Um, so you have, you know, a good idea of, of the industry um, on a broader level, I guess. So in, in relation to the industry as a whole, what do you think is the main area that needs attention or improvement? Um, I really, I think it is that, are you okay? And, Mm. you know, the, the building of community and the connection and, um, 
Yeah, so I'm uh, on board with the VNCA WA committee. Um, and a lot of the talks that we organise don't directly relate to the work that I do. Um, you know, there's not a lot of information that I can actually take out of them that is relative to my line of work. But, you know, it's the networking and mm. um, the, the meeting new nurses and um, being available to be a friendly face um, to nurses in the community to, to try and really work on that um, the sense of community within nurses um, to have that support and um, and to show that a lot of what we go through is similar for all of us so mm. and, and there's a lot of people available um, you know to talk to um, to try and, and work through any issues you might be having or to offer some support that's right and making those connections is really important and you know I always used to hear about it um, you know even when I was a lawyer as networking people were always talking about networking and and I and I guess I, I used to cringe at that word and the word I think that is more appropriate in the age of um, you know Facebook groups and Instagram and and you know online connections is the word that you use which is just connecting connecting to people and to your peers and and having that community that broader community that's not just your co-workers um, it is so important and I'm on the Queensland divisional committee and I, I mean for people listening thinking well Kate lives in Perth and so then she can be involved you know I'm not I'm not based in Brisbane where the Queensland um, committee I guess w- would mainly sort of meet in person but I jump on the meetings on Skype we all get in our pajamas and jump on Skype yeah. one night a month it's awesome um, and for me it is that connection so um, and then when we are able to have CPD events you know we had one in Cairns last year I'm able to then start connecting nurses in far north Queensland and and you know again stressing to them the importance of having these groups of people that you know we all can relate to what we're doing regardless of our niche so um, yeah I think community and connection are really important too and when you say you know that are you okay is important do you mean you know just on what level do you mean sort of just more awareness of that in general or asking our team that in general can you talk more on the are you okay part I think I mean you know really it it's an open-ended question you know are things going okay for you at work um is there something going on at home that is impacting your work that you know um that we can support you with um yeah it really it it can mean so many different things and I think if you're feeling like someone is not themselves Mm. um, it's so important to just reach out and you know try and explore that and you know if if you don't get that person to open up and you feel like they need help then you know maybe you need to alert somebody else um, exactly whether that's a supervisor at work or Um, you know to get some advice from your HR team um, on on how you might be able to help that person Um, exactly don't just let it go yeah and I can relate exactly to that and we've had an experience in my workplace where someone wasn't quite right and neither Matt nor I were exposed to that person enough to notice Um, but I guess it went on for a while before um, you know, one pretty brave person, I guess, rang us up um, at, you know, 5.30 on a Thursday or whatever and said, yeah. 
this person's not okay. I don't want to be making this phone call, but I feel, you know, like I've got this duty to do this for her. Um, and here's what's going on. And we were like, God, thank you so much for telling us. Um, so, you know, somebody does want to know if somebody's a bit off because you need that opportunity um, to reach out to that person and say, you know, is something going on at home or is something happening here? And if you don't want to talk to me, here here are some ways that you can can sort of deal with this or other people that you can talk to so I think that's super important we've actually just changed our EAP as well from just a local psychologist um, to one that again Nat from an earlier episode who works with um, ACVN recommended which is Uprise Um, and it is based on being more proactive than reactive so we're still able to tell our team you can utilize a psychologist through this service but they, they also have an app on their phone that checks in with them once a month to basically say are you okay and you rate yourself um, in terms of how stressed you are or how anxious you are or how well you're coping and then this app will spit back a number at you and say you're this okay here here are some resources that you can use or watch this video or would you like to book a coaching session on um, you know learning to strengthen this particular um, you know part of of your ability to cope and so I think yeah it is really important to either have you know to have someone asking be it an app or a colleague or your boss you know co-worker are you okay absolutely and I think you know mental health is such a massive thing these days you know there's not many people that I know that aren't impacted in in some way in their life Mm. you know um so taking the stigma away as well to say it's okay But we just, you know, we just need to know so we can support you through Mm. it, you know. It doesn't mean you're not competent or you're not capable or, you know, you are going to be, you know, managed at work differently. It's Mm. just being able to support the person through that, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so they can get past their hurdle or, you know get well again um, Mm. so that they can continue to thrive I think there's often this feeling of people that they want to keep it a secret because Mm. you know they're worried about how that will actually impact them at work whereas Mm -hmm. you know I really feel like it needs to be we need to have a feeling that it's okay and it's safe to let Mm. people know that you're not going okay and you know that you're going to get the support that you need to to get through what you're going through that's it and I think that a lot of people who are hiding something would be surprised at how you can replace that feeling of stigma um, with a feeling of relief when you open up about something because lo and behold someone around you will say god I have experienced that like I know that feeling or that has happened to me and you'll be amazed when you open up that other people say yeah I got really worried about that too or that really got me down at one point as well so I think once you open up you know as long as you're you're surrounded by supportive people who you trust you know often people will come forward and say this happened in my private life too or this happened with my mental health too or I experienced that in a workplace as well so um, definitely removing that fear of opening up I think is is a really important um, part of our industry that we need to just keep on putting putting forward and saying to people it's okay speak up yeah absolutely 
Now, it's been really nice chatting to you and hearing um, all about your life that I can only imagine looking again at the cover of this journal. Um, And when you were saying you're not so worried about, um, you know, dealing with the bigger patients, I was thinking, yeah, because you probably have better procedures in place than we do for handling like some of my most petrifying patients would be like a chihuahua. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) it's amazing what you get confident handling that. That, um, yeah, the things you used to be scared of before. Yeah. <laughs> um, pale in comparison. But we can't really come at the Chihuahua with, you know, um, the dark gun, although sometimes I wish we could. Um, but, yeah, I, I can only imagine a day in the life as a, a zoo nurse. I think it would be amazing. I did my year 10 work experience at the local zoo. So uh, um, that was my little taste of it, just wow. with Vegemite, the pony, and uh, the local botanic garden zoo. So... Um, and again, like on the physicality of it too, I remember just being knackered because I was driving around a little four wheeler with a trailer and buckets and mucking and feeding. So, um, yeah, I can only imagine the day in your life. Thank you for sharing some of it. And if you could reach out and thank a mentor who's helped you in your career and personal development in the veterinary industry, who would it be? And what would you say? Um, I've had many mentors through my career and I think, the things that I've got from all of them, you know, have have helped me upskill and become a better nurse. And the thing that I think I take most from all of them is trying to be that person for other people. So, you know, mm. trying to walk the talk and, you know, set the standards and encourage people to upskill and, and share knowledge um, with other people because you know so many people are, are so skilled and knowledgeable um that you know share that knowledge um you know try and help other people improve as much as you can that's right absolutely and and you can um you can share that knowledge and you can seek more knowledge through so many different sources um the vnca is one of them and that's where kate and i are involved on our state divisional committees providing cpd so looking out for cpd you know there are webinars there are face-to-face sessions um, but also there are so many online providers that are um that are able to to steer you towards um you know further further studies or webinars or whatever it be in your little niche that you're interested in um or just in revising and brushing up on something that you do from day to day so that as you say you can walk walk the the walk of saying yes we're going to do best practice this is what it looks like um you know we're not just we're not just saying it we're doing it yeah absolutely and i guess being in this this industry for what nearly 20 years now uh in the zoo industry yeah yeah so at some point i guess um you know you do you do become the mentor to the other people and so it's nice that you're able to give back and take other people under your wing and provide those opportunities absolutely and also recognizing as well you know new people coming in um can bring skills too so it's it's definitely a a two-way street and um trying to suck out everybody's strengths and everybody's knowledge and put it all together and you're going to have the best result at the end. That's right. We always say that new grad vets and newly graduated nurses have the most up-to-date information and they're excellent for improving your protocols and procedures and checking in with them to say, is this what you learnt at school? This is what we do. Is this what you learnt? So um, everybody has something to bring. Definitely. 
Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for We've having me. Both had a little bit of respite with daddy daycare, um, looking after our, our um, kidlets. So that's been nice. Yes. I should have gotten a cup of tea so I could have um, killed two birds with one stone. But <laughs> Quick, go and get one now. I might Don't do. I might. finished. Yeah, we're still going. Still got just getting, putting the kettle on. <laughs> uh, well, it's been really lovely to, to get to know you more, Kate. And, um, and I look forward to no doubt seeing you around the traps. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast. To help us make more free episodes, subscribe and leave a review. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Radio Vet Nurse or drop in at radiovetnurse.com.